Welcome to Indisputable, I'm Sharon Reed. And for Dr. Rashad Ritchie, who's enjoying just a little bit of time off. Our special co-host today is none other than Jordan Yule, who is of Game Busters fame on Twitch. And of course, a TYT contributor. Welcome to you, Jordan. I can't wait to hear your insight, particularly on this first one, okay? The whole world was watching, anticipating something special. It was special, all right. <laughs> Ron DeSantis 2024 run announcement. Let's just say it didn't go as planned. There's 382,000 people, Lauren. All right, great. So let's see. So they just keep crashing, huh? Yeah, I think we've got <laughs> a, just a massive number of people online, so it's um, servers are straining somewhat. Um, one eternity later. This like this time someday. Um, all right, we're just uh, reallocating more uh, server capability uh, to be able to handle load here. It's uh, really going going crazy. So, um, yeah, I'm obviously very excited to um, have uh, Governor DeSantis uh, make this. Uh, They could have hired me if that's the quality that they were looking for technically, okay? I guess it could have happened to any of us, but it happened to Ron DeSantis on the world stage, if you will, his big coming out. So what went wrong? Well, his planned Twitter Spaces conversation scheduled for 6 p.m. Eastern Wednesday. So multiple technical issues that delayed his announcement by more than 20 minutes as the platform kept crashing. Twitter owner Elon Musk, who was hosting the conversation, blamed the technical difficulties on servers not having sufficient bandwidth for the hundreds of thousands of people who were racing to tune in. That from CBS News. After launching a second spaces from the Twitter account of entrepreneur David Sachs, Musk apologized and said, quote, I think we're definitely breaking new ground here. Something's breaking. As far as I know, no major presidential candidate has ever announced their candidacy on social media this way, certainly in a Twitter space. So thank you for doing that. I agree with Musk, no one else has done it quite like that. It got worse. Now DeSantis said he chose to announce via the social media platform because of his distrust of the media after its coverage of his response to the COVID-19 pandemic. He then praised Musk for purchasing the social media company, quoting, I think what was done with Twitter is really significant for the future of our country. We cannot have a society in which the government is colluding with major tech platforms to enforce an orthodoxy. Ron DeSantis. Now, Trump, where was he? He he did tune in and mocked the failed launch on Truth Social. Hmm. Well, it crashed like a lead balloon, let's just say. Joe Biden got in on it too and put up this. This link works, it kind of says it all, right? And maybe he's fundraising off of this too. We'll have to wait to get the final numbers. DeSantis current polling, well, competitive with Trump nationally and in many states in polls near the end of last year. However, recent polling suggests 
But DeSantis may be losing steam, even as he launches officially with Trump leading DeSantis by almost 30 points in the 538 aggregate. Jordan, this um, this was something else, okay? And I didn't tune in, <laughs> but what I saw, the clips, the reactions, Twitterverse going in was just epic. You were there, I don't know, maybe you got booted out too, okay? But you give us your color commentary, if you will. Sure, well, Ron DeSantis is somebody who is notoriously Awkward. He is just a really gross, smarmy person who doesn't do well interpersonally. Off a teleprompter, he's okay. But it was a really odd decision from my perspective to have him go into an unscripted Q&A on a platform notorious for bugs because Elon Musk laid off around 80% of the staff to save money. That part. And this is this is the outcome, right? It was a really uncomfortable and awkward 20 minutes before it even got started because of these bugs. And once they did get going, finally, it was just culture war grievances, complaining about Disney, complaining about critical race theory, complaining about all of these different things that he wants to make the centerpiece of his campaign. Notably absent from this campaign launch, Conversations around economic issues, conversations around things that address people's material needs, help people pay their bills. Sure, I obviously think the progressive response to these problems is the better solution. But Republicans still talk about these issues in their campaigns because they know it's things voters care about. People online largely care about things like critical race theory and Disney and the LGBTQIA plus community. From a right wing perspective, but that's not going to be a winning primary strategy when you're ignoring things that voters of all political stripes care about. So it was a really bad and odd decision by the DeSantis campaign overall. And I think it illustrates just how in over their heads they are. Couldn't agree with you more. And I think there were two awkward people part of that conversation actually, but I, I, Go back and forth in my mind about the reaction from both Trump and Biden. I don't know if either one should have weighed in at all. This thing was a dud. Am I wrong? Yeah, he tried to say it was a major success. And let's think about that. Let's think about just how many people were there relative to other live stream platforms. You know, Twitch has handled up to a million, million and a half concurrent viewers for some streamers. YouTube obviously handles that across the entire platform every single day. But you have to think about this, 300,000 on one of your flagship features on your platform, not being able to handle that many concurrent listeners. That's really small, but also relative to other mediums. That's extremely small. Had he gone the traditional route, had he done this on broadcast, had he done it in some public facing way where there would be a video component, not only would it reach more people, it would also give him videos that his campaign could use throughout their campaign. Through ads, social videos, other elements of this campaign, but they ignored it because they wanna ingratiate themselves to Elon Musk. But on that 300,000 number, the worst performing cable news primetime hour, does like two to three times that at least 
but they don't have any clips to use. They have awkward audio to use. The narrative now becomes this was a total disaster. And when the DeSantis campaign tried to do something with it, it was really low quality audio over B-roll of Elon Musk and Ron DeSantis. It just didn't make any sense. It was a really botched rollout altogether. Yeah, I think you're right. And and you're right about even CNN could have beat this one. <laughs> Let's face it, that's who we're really <laughs> talking about. Uh, but I think this tells us something about who's in charge here. Because Ron DeSantis has been part of the national stage for long enough. There are people who know how to do this kind of thing and do it well and would have advised against this. And that tells me that he is in charge and that he is fearful. And I don't know how he's gonna shake hands and hold babies or eat pudding with a spoon, Jordan. It's gonna be a problem. We'll keep following it though, it's interesting to watch. Um, We're gonna move on to this one, it was breaking news on Indisputable. I don't know anybody who doesn't love her. This was and is will always be a true icon, Tina Turner. And we're learning more in the lead up to her death that was announced yesterday. Tina Turner knew the end was near and she settled her estate. Too many times we see families battling it out or torn apart due to a lack of estate planning. Luckily, legendary queen of rock and roll Tina Turner reportedly had all of her estate matters settled. And she did it years earlier, in the years preceding her devastating death. According to Radar Online, this was in an effort to prevent any family from fighting over her monumental fortune. And she had a lot. Sources revealed Tina started getting her final will in order in 2021. Singer feared her days were numbered and wanted to make sure everything was in place, according to sources. Tina Turner, whose estate is estimated to be worth $270 million, even sold off her music catalog to record label BMG for a reported $50 million. Again, radar online with the reporting. At the time, a source said, Tina knows her time is short and she wants to make sure her ducks are in a row for her family. She's been dealing with poor health for years and knows the end is near. Tina bravely battled intestinal cancer. She underwent a kidney transplant in 2017 with devoted husband Erwin Bach, age 65, as her donor. In 2018, she suffered the heartbreaking loss of 59-year-old Craig Turner, the oldest of her four sons, to suicide. An insider said in 2021, she's on dialysis again. People in her circle fear she doesn't have long to live. And earlier this year, Tina suffered another loss when her son Ronnie died. He suffered a medical emergency at a San Fernando Valley home. Paramedics arrived but were unable to revive him. Here's a statement released yesterday by Tina Turner's reps and it reads, it is with great sadness that we announce the passing of Tina Turner. With her music and her boundless passion for life, she enchanted millions of fans around the world and inspired the stars of tomorrow. They added today, we say goodbye to a dear friend who leaves us all her greatest work, her music, all our heartfelt compassion goes out to her family. Tina, we will miss you dearly. Jordan, there's the music. There's the signature dance moves, the legs, the hair, the style, everything about her. 
but it's also what she stood for and what she spoke up about that I will always remember and love about her. Domestic violence, she lent her story to a cause and she didn't just give it a one off. She allowed that movie to be made and an Oscar to be won several at a time when that was not something that you would step into the light about. She did that and yet we saw her as full of life and joy and courageous and she wasn't a victim either. I don't know other people who can pull off what she did, including stepping out and doing music her way as a black artist who started out one way and then said, I'm on my own and I'm gonna do what I want. What do you remember about her and what did she teach us? I think her story, her life story, the theme that really stood out as I read more about like her later years was just taking control of her life and her image. And whether it's you know moving on from a, a, an abusive partner to even just her, her end of life planning, doing it on her terms, like everything was on her terms. She was a dynamic performer, one of the greatest of all time. It's a really tragic loss. I feel bad for her family members who survived um, and just wish them nothing but the best. But yeah, this is a, a, a huge loss in the music community because this is somebody who whose legacy will live on for years. Yeah, well, and you know, 83, I believe um, Tita was when she passed, but it's just we weren't ready to leave, lose her. You know, we we felt like we're always going to have. Tina Turner, may I should just speak for myself, but look how late she was performing. And remember, they wrote her off, critics, when she was making yet another comeback. And she was bigger than ever. You're too old. No, she's not. She's Tina Turner, okay? And I just love it. I love her outlook and I just find her so inspiring. And yes, she moved on from Ike, but there was this way that she just didn't dwell or I felt like she didn't, this is too much, I'm sure, hate him. It happened, it wasn't right. She spoke out and she wasn't a doormat, but she didn't carry hate in her heart. We will miss the one and only Tina Turner. I'm gonna download some things though. I'm gonna be listening to her. My my daughter hates it when I just have her on repeat or anyone, but that's what I do over and over again, the same song. Joy Behar, a longtime View co-host. I believe it's like 26 years and I, maybe she skipped a few. Uh, her mouth sometimes gets her in trouble. Maybe this is one of those times Joy Behar questioned Tim Scott's black experience. Host of The View took a shot at Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas's blackness and dragged 2024 Republican presidential candidate, newly announced Tim Scott into the argument on Tuesday. Joy Behar argued that neither man understood the systemic racism that black people face in America because they consider themselves black Republicans. Now, the conversation on Tuesday, I don't know if it would have just stayed right there, maybe it would have been okay. Um, but 
It came after Scott officially declared his candidacy for the 2024 presidential race on Monday. Listen to this. And he's one of these guys who, you know, he's like Clarence Thomas, black Republican who believes in pulling yourself by your bootstraps, rather than to me, understanding the systemic racism that African Americans face in this country and other minorities. He doesn't get it, neither does uh, Clarence. Right. And that's why they're Republicans. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> I sometimes wonder if that's a laugh track or if the audience is really laughing that loud. And I like her. Is she really that funny? Maybe. Maybe I'll have to see her at stand up. Now, the ladies of the view, of course, often discuss race and racism. November, Whoopi Goldberg, Sonny Hostin called out Clarence Thomas for not knowing the meaning of diversity. But there seems to be an issue when Behar chimes in, and specifically, it comes with her defining the black experience in America. And some on social media argue it has a lot to do with Behar appearing in blackface as she did decades ago. It's something she seemed to take pride in even years later discussing it on The View. It was a Halloween party, I went as a beautiful African woman. Oh yes, you ain't black. But that's my hair. <laughs> Yeah, but it is. So, uh, so the whole point of that curling with me now. Coming back. I thought that was. I thought, that I mean, is me. Did you have tanning lotion on? Joel? A little. I had makeup that was a little bit darker uh -huh, than my skin. Uh -huh. <laughs> a little bit darker makeup. Well, that's still blackface. That's still blackface. If that's the look you're going for. Okay. Scott responded to Behar's on-air remarks in a tweet on Tuesday. Claiming that Democrats fear black conservatives. Majority of black voters tend to lean left at the polls. Saying when a black conservative who believes in the future of this nation stands up to be counted, they lose their minds. That's why I'm the candidate the radical left fears the most. South Carolina Senator wrote via Twitter. Scott also got support from other black Republicans like Myron Donalds who tweeted, joy dressing up as a black woman for Halloween with dark paint on your face doesn't magically make you black or make you an expert on what it's like to be black, wrote the US Representative Byron Donald of Florida. From one black person to another white liberal who got a pass for wearing blackface, sit this one out. Donald's doubled down with on air comments on Wednesday morning. Listen. Listen, Joya Behar doesn't understand that she is a buffoon. She's paid to spew these things. Um, nobody really pays attention to anything that she believes in or she talks about. And this is also she sounds good on the Upper West Side, but the rest of America looks at her and says she is utterly ridiculous. I don't even know why her opinions even carry the level of weight that they do. Frankly, they really don't. But it's just a ridiculous opinion. She's never walked a day in Tim Scott's shoes or in my shoes or any other black person in America. So she needs to just sit down, stay in her lane, tell some jokes, but this is not an area for her to comment. Okay, so he wants her to have several seats, Jordan. And I don't know, and maybe it's oversimplifying it. On the one hand, is Joy Behar out of touch as a white woman talking about anything black, no matter where it is on the spectrum? Or did Joy Behar perhaps make a little mistake, needs some more education about what is and isn't appropriate and what should or should not be regrettable. But 
There should be a statute of limitations and her overall body of work as a liberal white woman means she does get to talk about these things. Frame this for us. I wouldn't say any any amount of time or you know work would allow her to really substantively critique someone's experience as a black American. So as a white person, it's just not something you could really fully understand. You could support, you know, the black community in this country. You can show allyship, but to question to question someone's race because of their politics is is racist. He, Tim Scott is is totally within his right to think whatever he wants politically. It doesn't make him less black. It's, it's it's ridiculous, but it's a trend that a lot of especially coastal or big city liberals like to, that's a behavior pattern that they like to engage in. Maybe they pat themselves on the back for living in a diverse community or you know showing solidarity with Black Lives Matter or other racial justice groups, but it doesn't give them a pass to question somebody's race. And that that trend among white liberals really needs to stop. Yeah, I think Joy needs to get a wake up call perhaps from Rachel Dolezal, who's been through it and has now had years of education about what is and is not appropriate. Not suggesting that Joy is, well, on that one Halloween night, she did try to live as a black woman, didn't she? On that one night. But I wonder what you make of her friends sitting at that table. Even back in 2016, you had the clip there. They didn't exactly call her out, they heard it. We all heard it. And they certainly didn't call her out this week when she, listen, think what you want about what's his face, who has the billionaire friend on the Supreme Court. And the other guy, South Carolina, who says America's not racist and he doesn't know anything about it. But black people who support and love white allies, it just makes you get a little, okay? I, you don't want to go too far in, but. Somebody's got to say something. Why didn't they say anything? The audience laughed. It's not mm. just her. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's that's it's it's a white liberal problem. Uh, I mean, I, I think wow. a lot about that movie Get Out and the <laughs> depictions of you know suburban white liberals and how they're portrayed there. It's you know the dad who is talking about how oh, I would have voted for Obama a third time if I could have <laughs> to show. That he's, you know, he's he's cool, he's likable, he's he's a good white guy, he's a good white ally. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's doing these barbaric experiments on on black men in his basement. It's just this total cognitive dissonance. Yeah, you can and should show support for the black community in this country. You should never question their blackness because of their politics. Yeah, yeah. Is it also an upper? We always hear them talk about the upper east side, upper west side. Is it a? I'm in my little New York bubble with my friends and the same cocktail parties. And we all think alike. And so as soon as you say it out loud and someone in the Midwest or the South or someone who does have naturally brown skin hears it, that's the first time you're gonna get checked. Is it a inside baseball upper New York City kind of deal as well? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of cloistered white elite liberals who Think that they live in diverse communities because, you know, for her, they, she might go spelunking into Midtown and see people that don't look like her, and she thinks, "Oh, I'm I'm living in a diverse area." 
But then she goes back up, yeah, Upper West Side, Upper East Side, where it's you know largely white and largely affluent families. That's not the same thing. It's not the same thing as living in the Bronx or Queens. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. they they just have these totally tone deaf reactions to things that seem pretty simple when you're connected to uh, other types of people, other groups, or actually live in a diverse community. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And listen, again, I like Joy Behar, and I think she's an ally. But I am going to put out a call. Does anyone have Rachel Dolezal's phone number? Because I would like to connect the two ladies. I would like them to have a deep conversation. One can warn the other, don't do this again. This is indisputable. Jordan Yule is our co-host today. Very happy to have him here. Much more indisputable as Dr. Ritchie takes the day off. I'm Sharon Reed. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Indisputable. I'm Sharon Reed in for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. Jordan Yule is our co-host today. Very happy to have him here. And let's get to some comments if we can, Jordan. A TYT member, eclectic. Miscellanea has this to say about Ron DeSantis' epic Twitter fail. The announcement that he's running for president that I don't know, it was like, I'd rather listen to online gamers, but that's just me. Uh, Eclectic Miscellanea says, hi, all. Biden's team making fun of DeSantis, embarrassing Twitter event. Reminded me of the Democratic debate when Biden told people to visit his website at go to Joe 30330. These politicians keep trying to look tech savvy. And they keep failing. And that's my only thing, because you know, tomorrow something's gonna happen to him. And so I need Joe to calm down and be presidential. And don't, why are you even paying attention to this guy right now? Okay, let them duke it out with their nonsense. Stay out of it. So I agree, eclectic. About Tina Turner, the one and only. Cats and Dragons says Tina Turner had so many struggles throughout her life. I hope she is resting in peace. She was a hero especially to victims of domestic violence, I agree. And she did it her way, she's resting, I just know she is, right? YouTube member Grumpy Cat has this to say about DeSantis. Elon said the rocket launch pad had minimal damage. Well, the launch pad was totally destroyed. (laughs) Scott Smith says this about Ms. Turner, my in-laws didn't. And when they passed, it left a huge mess. So it's really good advice to do what Miss Turner did. She settled her entire estate, got everything in order so her family wouldn't fight over her $270 million reported fortune. She did it the right way indeed. RJL Network says, rest in peace, Tina, queen of rock and one of the greatest of all time. About joy. Kip Doctor says, Joy is wrong, but her words were not offensive. They understand systemic racism, they just go along with it. And one more for you, YouTube member, Tyler Hackner. Thank you, Tyler. Gifted one membership with Indisputable. Shalinda, we thank you as well. Welcome to Indisputable. Now it's that time of the show. It's like I know who this lady votes for. I wish you Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? I feel French. Back off! I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. I'm sorry, but ma'am, I need to work here in this building. I'm really sorry. I'm here as a maintenance man. I'm really sorry, but my mom is disabled, and you're just going to video me. I'll video you back. 
But this is ridiculous. How can you? Because my are you uh you own this particular parking because spot? Because they're right here. Sorry, like. <laughs> You really, honestly, my mom's 71 years old and disabled. Do you really want to be like that? I came here, I, I came to find a spot so that she could, so that she could walk across and eat on the beach. Do you really want to be like that, sir? No, it's just very ridiculous. But right I'll, I'll let you, because I'm a kind person, because I'm a kind person, excuse me, because I'm a kind person, I'm going to let your disabled 71 year old parents have the spot. But it, just for future reference, Saving parking okay, spots by standing okay. in them okay, is not, doesn't work. It doesn't work. Okay. You know, we were talking in the break and she is beat red. Okay, we're gonna get into the content. But all I kept thinking about was, you know, crab, crab, crab. Okay, because this woman's skin is being destroyed here. And I think it would have been even kinder. He was very kind to hand her some sunscreen through the window if she'd take it. Maybe some people don't wanna do it because she's headed to the beach that day. But Jordan, I'll let you weigh in because my policy is I don't generally argue with Karens. I'm not gonna sit here and have a conversation. He was so patient, he was so kind and gentle. He got a little frustrated only because she wasn't listening when he was trying to tell her how kind he is as a person. What say you? Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, I'm curious to learn more about how that started and the the full backstory, but it's it's a very frustrating thing when you're in public like that and somebody's just blocking a parking spot and only you have it, especially if it's somebody who is trying to get to work. Um, they're out having a leisurely day at the beach. Like, what's a couple extra minutes finding a different spot? Um, it's it's weird. It's all very weird. And I, again, I as we talked about during the break. I'm just so distracted by how red yeah. she is. Like, please it's put on sunscreen. Your skin is going to be like a leather handbag soon. It's a crisis, and uh, you know, it, it's got that's got to be dealt with before parking or anything else. Okay, <laughs> it's, it's not well. But I think if she would have just, but this is not the Karen mentality. We take what we want, and you're not going to stop us. Is the mentality? If she would have just said, "Hey, I'm I know, I'm so sorry. It's weird. I'm standing in this spot. I shouldn't be." My mom is just like, you know, close by and she's disabled. Would you mind? This guy would have said, sure, right? Why do, why do Karen's have to just flap around so much? I feel like I'm existing in a chicken coop or something. And there's just so many feathers and everything's flapping around and it's dirty and dusty. And I just need you to clean up a little bit and calm down. Keeps happening, Jordan. Keeps happening. The tone, it's the tone. Like, it's just immediately aggressive. Like like you're saying, just hey, explain it, lay it all out. I'm sure he would have been fine going somewhere else. But the really aggressive tone, like the head cock stuff, like <laughs> it doesn't really seem like you're telling the truth. Like if that's really what, what's cock. happening, why do you need to have that yeah. aggressive posturing and tone? Chickens do that too, okay, chicken. <laughs> Uh, I can tell you something. I believe we are on to something here. I have the team here. I don't want to take credit for it, but the team here at Indisputable, in my view, has discovered CNN's next primetime host, okay? And she's crafty too. This woman is a Democratic voter who ended up in a Fox News panel lecturing everybody else, including the host. Watch. 
Janine, uh, as a Democrat leading toward Biden, what, is, what would you like to see from, from a president in uh, Let's see. I'm going to pick education, and I'm going to say that education is a key issue in our society. So I want no books banned. I'm very anti-anything being banned. You don't want your kid to read it? That's fine. I want my kid to read a little bit so of what everything. about like 2,500 books banned so far, Will. Trans, yeah. The trans I, they, advocacy she can, I have one elementary she can school. Read, she can read whatever she wants to read at an age appropriate to what she so is. So how about like but the any, Bible? But what I if want, we wanted to teach the Bible? I'm Catholic. I've, I've already taught her about the Bible because so, I'm Catholic. But no, what so, about in school? So absolutely. Though. Oh, in school? Oh, no. There's oh, no, no. Can have gotten separation, to separation, separation of church. And then that's all not history, the Constitution, all history should thing. be taught. That is African-American history, Native American history, Latino history, um, you know, Asian history, Caucasian history. All history should be taught in public schools. So I'm going to say I'm very pro-education. It's, it's so interesting because education mm-hmm. will be a topic cutting mm-hmm. in both directions. Very pro-education. You described it differently than I think some, many of our other panelists Which means would that as well. DeSantis is a thumbs down because he doesn't want to educate people on black history. And so I take that as a well, personal I think affront. Well, seeing a black woman. Wait, wait, your anti-blackness that. is showing. That's a, that's a false anti- statement. And he can, you can be anti-black and be black. So his anti-black. You want to keep blacks slip, on the school, slip back in. school plantation. Put your slip back in. School choice. <laughs> school choice is a civil rights issue. Separation right? of church Absolutely. and state. It's the underground railroad to give black and brown children an opportunity in this well, you're country. anti-black history. You just told oh, me. No. I, I don't think anyone is anti-black no, history. No, he, he that was is saying a that before. Hyperbole on top of whether you want a radical Marxist theory and critical race theory being taught to kids that divides them. That doesn't make you anti-black history. You notice how the host was rattled and had to keep looking at those notes that I don't know. The writers are on strike, but someone's writing fiction still over there at Fox. Someone's writing a lot of fiction. And the host had to keep looking at the cue cards, was so rattled by this one woman in the purple dress who didn't even bother. He, the guy behind her didn't even warrant a full head turn. She just gave him a thumb. There's more. Uh, John, <laughs> you have said anyone but DeSantis. It's a strong opinion, but it leaves your field wide open. Why are you so opposed to Ron DeSantis? First off, Florida has always been operated and administered pretty well, right? Way before Governor DeSantis actually arrived. So let's get over the DeSantis hype. And DeSantis acts like, you know, a guy who's kind of desperate looking for a date in the primary. And when we're trying to win a general election, and when it comes down to personality, I think the Pillsbury Doughboy has more personality than Governor DeSantis. But with that said, he has done a decent job in Florida. But that doesn't mean that he's his policies, especially certain late actions uh, uh, earlier this year, means that he's going to govern and bring over the middle and the and the left. Okay. I mean, but, I the thing, but the thing is, it doesn't mean that I'm all in for Trump. I do like Trump's policies. So those who actually announced or may announce, like Governor Yunkin, I'm open. Even though he's he's very loud, he's putting me to sleep. It's either that or too many carbs for the show. He didn't really say anything, but we'll tell you a little bit about these people. And by the way, stop pretending that he's just this random guy who happened to be in the audience. New Jersey dermatologist, Dr. Janine Downey and John Burnett, former New York County GOP official, briefly detailing their views of Ron DeSantis during a panel. Republican and Democratic voters on Sunday. Burnett even telling 
Fox News, you heard it there that the Pillsbury Doughboy has more personality than the Florida governor. Takes one to no one. I like this dermatologist. I think she's lovely. And by the way, her skin is flawless, Jordan. And I didn't detect any fillers, nothing. So if she got anything done, it's quite natural. And her ease at just taking over the room. Okay, who dare oppose me? She was, she did it beautifully and she did it pleasantly. Okay, the smile was like an exclamation mark to me. I'm just one person. Your observation? I thought she did a great job. These events are just for entertainment. And Mm. I'll give you folks some insight into how these things operate. Like you point out, he's a former GOP official, just handpicked as a voter, right? There was a CNN event a couple of years ago, a town hall during the primary, the 2020, the 2020 primary was for Cory Booker, and it was in South Carolina. And I noticed a familiar face for somebody who was picked as a South Carolina resident, because this guy was my next door neighbor in my apartment wow. complex in DC. Currently, when this happened, and he was a just a political operative who was framed as a South Carolina resident and voter. He lived next to me in DC at that same time. And that was the moment where all of these things, I knew they were all staged, but that really shattered any pretense that was remaining for these types of town halls or voter panels. It's all for entertainment and it's all kayfabe. But on this one specifically, She did a tremendous job laying out the attacks that DeSantis and the Republican Party at large have, they've waged in this culture war on education. And you could see it in Pete Hegseth, the host, who looks kind of like a comic book villain with that hair. But his response, trying to frame the teaching of African American history in schools as radical Marxist critical race theory. No, that critical race theory, as you know, and I know a lot of viewers know, That's a theory that's taught in law school to look at the law and how it's applied in a with with historical context, just a different way of understanding the law. It's not taught in elementary schools, but the right has done a really good job trying to scaremonger over basic history in public school curriculums. And on the school choice point, that is something that only benefits the elite by pushing school choice or vouchers or charter schools. That's something where people can privatize and profit from education, which should be free and open to everybody. A good public education system helps better an entire country. Look at every other developed country in the world and look at how far they're exceeding the United States on education. You go any to any other developed country. People there speak multiple languages because they learned it in school. People can barely master the English language here because of the Republican Party's cuts on public education. It's really, really sad how far we're lagging behind. It really is. It's it's actually disgusting. And then the, the distraction tactics. Um, I hate it when the media participates complicit or is flat out behind the lie. Why? Don't you want everyday people to speak? It used to make me so angry as a local news anchor when we would run a story with one of our reporters and I'd say, did you just interview the guy over there at the other desk? Okay, well, he pays bills too. Walk outside. There's a big world out there and there are people 
who are real people and they have something to say. But it seems like there is this conspiracy, God, to shut everyone up and put on this propaganda, this theater. And I don't understand it. I'm fine talking to real people, okay? Even when they're standing in my parking spot, okay? Just give me real people, not AI, real people. This is indisputable. I'm Sharon Reed and for Dr. Rashad Ritchie, we're right back with much more. Welcome back to Indisputable, I'm Sharon Reed in for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. Jordan Yule is our co-host today and very proud to have him on the show today. Offering his stellar, stellar commentary as always. We wanna thank you and let you know something about TYT membership. When we say members make TYT possible, not hyperbole. We literally can't do it without you. Sign up today at tyt.com slash impact. Let's just make some positive change happen together. Starting at just $4.99, your membership supports our initiative to make an impact on policy, fight back against the mainstream media and corrupt politicians. Become a member today at tyt.com slash impact. I mean, Jordan, for $4.99, okay? That can't even buy you a overpriced coffee. And by the way, you're only gonna get about two thirds. Of a cup full. Yeah. Okay, take it from me. It's worth it. It's creating change. It's about positivity and it's about having a voice. So sign up today, folks. Let's give you some more viewer comments. TYT member Wolf Dragon Donna says this about the Karen who was standing in the parking spot and clapping at the person who was in an actual vehicle. I'm a very kind person, but if she had come at me with that snotty attitude, forget it. Take your 71-year-old mom somewhere else, okay? I honestly think a lot of people would have felt that way. Democratic voter in the Fox News panel lecturing the host. This dermatologist is everything, check out the clip. The woman in the lavender dress should be Secretary of Education today. Sign her up, okay? Wow, YouTube. Jackson Jackson has this to say about that Karen in the parking spot. Parking spots are for cars, lady, sorry. And Puff the Dragon says Karens wake up every day and choose violence. And it's always in the tone. See, Jordan, you're right. You know, I think they could get away with saying some of this stuff if the tone was different. But that's what they lead with. And that's the very definition of Karen. Wow. Uh, let's move on to this update. It involves JP Morgan, former executive, losing his bid to dismiss the Jeffrey Epstein suit. Here's what's going on. A federal judge on Wednesday denied a bid by former JP Morgan Chase executive Jess Staley to dismiss a complaint by the bank that seeks to hold him legally liable for sex trafficking by former JP Morgan customer Jeffrey Epstein. Staley, who had been a main point of contact at the bank for Epstein. Last month asked Judge Jed Rakoff to toss out the complaint against him by JP Morgan. Now the ruling in US District Court in Manhattan came two days before JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon scheduled to be deposed in lawsuits by the government of the US Virgin Islands and an Epstein accuser against the bank over its relationship with 
the late predator. Virgin Islands alleges in its suit filed in December that JP Morgan facilitated and financially benefited from the trafficking of young women by Epstein. It was private island in the American territory to be sexually abused by him and others there. Epstein was a client of the bank from 1998 until 2013. In March, as part of his legal response, its legal response to the Virgin Islands lawsuit and the similar one by the Jane Doe accuser, JP Morgan filed a so-called third party complaint against Daly. That action argues if the Virgin Islands proves its allegations, Staley is solely liable to the USVI or liable to JP Morgan Chase for all sums awarded, if any, at trial. Suit also seeks to claw back more than $80 million in compensation Staley received from the bank where he worked for three decades. Staley has denied knowing about Epstein's sex trafficking. He served as CEO of Barclays from 2015 until 2021, when he quit after British financial regulators investigated his ties to Epstein. Epstein died from suicide inside a Manhattan jail August 2019, weeks after being arrested on federal child sex trafficking charges. I don't know how to feel about this one, Jordan, because I don't really see good people, okay? JP Morgan Chase or Staley. I don't necessarily want him to pay if they get hit. I want them both on the hook. So this doesn't give me a lot of joy. What do you think? Yeah, it's it's frustrating because while they look into this, while some progress is made in the court system around Epstein and his network. It does seem like the most powerful and influential people and entities aren't ever on the hook for this kind of stuff. And the right loves to trot out Epstein and the entire scandal as some you know, gotcha for their political enemies. They love, obviously, they love to point to the Clintons for their ties to Epstein. But they always look away when it's people that are ultimately on their side, whether it's Donald Trump, his connections to Epstein, Elon Musk, or you know, big banks. Let's see it. Let's see you go after every single person and entity who was connected to Epstein. Do it. If that's if you care so much about this, I say go for it. Go after the big banks. Go after the big banks who financed this guy and kept his money and ultimately knew what he was doing. Go after Trump, go after Musk, go after the Clintons. I don't care. I have no allegiance to any of these people. But if you really want to root out every single person that was connected to him, start with the banks, start with Trump, start with Musk, go for it. I couldn't agree more. And I don't know why, but I almost choked on the 80, less we expected $80 million over a couple decades. It's just, it's filthy. At this point, it's just become filthy, okay? You are filthy rich. And it really sucks because I want everyone to have the American dream. But when there's such disparity, okay? And there's no morals apparently and no empathy or care for other people in a lot of these cases. It just, it's just reeks, it stinks. And I don't know what to do about it, but it seems to me it must be pretty hard to get a judge to agree that this guy be on the hook for what an entire bank, that entire entity 
would be looking at. I would think if it were you or I, we wouldn't necessarily get the benefit of a ruling like that. But I could be wrong, Jordan. Give you the last word. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, even back to the financial crisis, no bank, no CEO got in trouble. It was a couple people, but that was it. And singling out one person at a bank, like he, there's no way it was just on him. That's what's so frustrating about anything involving Wall Street, big banks, big entities in this country. It's never the company as a whole that faces any sort of scrutiny or punishment. It's somebody who's the scapegoat. And that creates a system, a two-tier justice system where individual people are hung out to dry. But these massive colossal entities that are funding or involved in deep evils in society never face any punishment. And this type of behavior just continues to perpetuate. We see it time and time again. And I think this is yet another case where nothing's really gonna be happening here to JP Morgan Chase. And I think it stinks. And I think there's a lot of funk to go around. In other cases, justice is slow, takes a long time. But eventually, something pops, something breaks, if you will. Yoren Vandersloot, remember him? This smarmy guy who could care less, could care less about a mother's pain. He's gonna be extradited to the United States finally. And it's gonna happen in June. Nearly two decades later, Yoren Vandersloot, prime suspect in the disappearance of Natalie Holloway during her May 2005 senior class trip to Aruba, is now facing extradition to the United States for wire fraud and extortion charges. Comes after he allegedly tried to sell Natalie's mother, Beth Holloway, information leading to where her daughter's body was located. The Peruvian government ruled earlier this month that he would be temporarily extradited to face trial in the US. Newsflash, you're never gonna get him back, okay? Federal prosecutors say Vandersloot asked for 250,000, 25,000 upfront for the information and the rest being paid out when the body of Natalie Holloway was positively identified. Vandersloot lied about Natalie Holloway's whereabouts, prosecutors said. More adding insult to injury. His lawyer, Maximo Altez, telling Fox News Digital that Vandersloot has worldwide fans who send him money monthly while he's in prison. Altez says Vandersloot responds to all women who send him letters. All his fans from all over the world sent letters to Yoren. I rented him a PO box to receive them. Some letters brought 10 euros, 20 euros, $5. They were girls who wrote and sent him letters with money and he answered them all, Altez said. Altez added that Vandersloot receives around 400 bucks per month. They may be wondering why the extradition is taking place now after so much time has passed. Well, we're gonna tell you. During a recent Fox News broadcast, Nancy Grace, who's been following the case extensively, broke down how she believes additional pressure was put on Peruvian officials with a treaty dating back to 2001, which allows Vandersloot to face prosecution in the US since he's already a convicted murderer. He's currently serving time for the 2010 murder of 21-year-old Stephanie Flores. 
She went on to detail how in Peruvian prison, he's had access to sex, drugs, and alcohol at will behind bars. Adding that he's even gotten married and had children while incarcerated as well. In a statement to Fox News Digital, Beth Holloway shared that the extradition gives a chance for justice to finally be served. I was blessed to have had Natalie in my life for 18 years. And as of this month, I have been without her for exactly 18 years. She would have been 36 years old, Beth Holloway said. It has been a very long and painful journey, but the persistence of many is going to pay off. Together we are finally getting justice for Natalie. I feel this mother's pain, it's beyond pain. This punk is tortured, he tortured her. That's what he was doing here and let him have him. When he gets back here, who cares? I do think the Natalie Holloway case has larger implications because there was so much focus on this one beautiful blonde woman. There was an obsession and it's not an easy thing to verbalize coming off a mother who's now been without her daughter, as she said, same amount of time her daughter was alive. She should be here, but this case and even the doggedness of it, not letting it go all these years later teaches us something about who's important and who deserves longevity, if not in life, with the system eyeballing their day in court. Jordan, what do you think about all of this? This was a, you know, it took me back to the early 2010s. I remember when this was a huge national yeah. story. Also hearing Nancy Grace's name again is just kind of jarring. This is somebody <laughs> who you know, I think we were all familiar with seeing on TV every single night talking about all of these different murder cases. Um, I feel bad for her family and that they have to have their wounds reopened and, and deal with this again. Um, I hope they can find peace if they haven't found it yet soon. But one thing that really stood out was this apparent parasocial relationship that people have developed with the alleged killer. Sending him money, developing these weird relationships with him. And he's not alone, Like this happens whenever there's an alleged criminal in the news frequently, that people become obsessed with them. I don't know what it says about human behavior or how people think and consume the news, but it's a really nasty uh, trait that we, we see time and time again. Like people would write to Charles Manson, fell in love with Charles Manson, and tried to <laughs> marry him while he was locked up. It's just, it's so bizarre. It's all very, very strange. Yeah, it is. Scott Peterson, the Menendez brothers, they're they're having a lot of luck. Okay, and no one needs beer goggles. They are getting women to marry them and pay them, and it is sick. I wish the Holloway family, Beth Holloway, all the love in the world. This this one has finally got to face it all. I hope it happens. Much more indisputable when we come right back. I'm Sharon Reed in for Dr. Rashad Ritchie today.
Welcome back to Indisputable. I'm Sharon Reed in for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. Jordan Yule is our special co-host today. Enjoyed having him and much more show to come. But let's get you a few viewer comments. YouTube member Robert Ryder about that Karen standing in the parking spot attempting to save it for her disabled mother. She wasn't a Karen. This was not because he was black that she was there. She probably was scared for her mom and it was something she could do. You are showing your privilege and you will never be lumped in as a Karen. Well, I don't necessarily agree with your comment. And we thank you, Robert Ryder. Vicki Gray, thank you, Vicki. Five indisputables, Dr. Richie memberships. Also, about that Fox News panel and the dermatologist who took over. And oh yeah, the guy who was sitting behind her, who was not just an average Republican voter, but was a member of former member of GOP leadership, we'll say. That's the guy from NYU that Dr. Ritchie keeps mopping the floor with in the bullpen. Yeah, you saw that, you recognized that guy, didn't you? We'll move on now because this, this next one has really a tragic ending and over what, I ask, what and why? Jacksonville man dies after missing heart medication doses in jail, crucial medicine. He needed. Jacksonville, Dexter Berry died while in police custody after not receiving his heart medication for days. Give you the background on his medical issues. Dexter Berry waited 12 years just to get a new heart. He saw dozens of doctors, had invasive procedures, and moved states to survive. 2020, his long wait paid off. His new heart allowed him to imagine a healthy life where he could revisit his passion for motorcycles and Watch his children grow and flourish in their careers. Then the arrest, 2022, after a misdemeanor arrest kept him in jail for two days without his life sustaining medication, his body rejected the heart. Barry's neighbor called 911 in November to complain that Barry 54 had threatened to beat him up after a weeks long fight over Wi-Fi access. A fight never occurred, but Barry was arrested on a simple assault charge. Barry told Jacksonville Sheriff's Officer Jacob McCann at least seven times that he needed to take his anti-rejection medications every day to survive, according to body camera footage that was reviewed by the tributary. Next morning, according to the court transcript, Barry told Judge Gilbert Feltel the same. I am on medication, Barry told the judge. I just had a heart transplant and I haven't taken my medicine all day since I've been locked up. And I take rejection medicines for my heart so my heart won't reject it. And I'm almost two years out. Okay, Feltel responded, wow. November 23rd, Barry died. He never got his medication, according to his son and a lawyer representing his family. A pathologist hired by the family said he died after his body rejected the heart he had waited a dozen years for. Andrew Bondurad, the Jacksonville civil rights lawyer who represents Barry's family is worried. Barry didn't get his medications because of the extreme expense to obtain them. Jacksonville Sheriff's Office refused to answer questions about Barry citing an administrative review of his death. The records show that Armor Health, which operates the jail's healthcare system had not consistently given inmates health assessments within the required 14 day time frame. Because Barry had only been held for two days, it's likely he didn't get that assessment. It's unknown if Barry was seen at all by a nurse during his booking because the jail 
declined to release medical records. JSO spokesperson officer Alain Kelly declined to answer when the administrative review started or what sparked it. Probably because it's not a comprehensive review and there won't be one as they await litigation from the family. And that's probably Taylor, a response that serves them best. This is so tragic, Jordan, because again, I ask over what? Discretion, there was no fight, something about someone threatening to beat someone up. You should get along with your neighbors, but no fight shouldn't mean you die because you don't get medication that you need in order to keep your heart. Yeah, this is just an example of how brutal our criminal justice system is in this country. He's locked up on a nonviolent crime. It's a he said, he said situation. Someone just makes a complaint and he's locked up on a simple assault charge for allegedly threatening somebody. Is that a proper response in any situation? And certainly think about the racial and class dynamics here. That was a wealthy white woman. And we've, I mean, this show documents the entitlement of wealthy white women and just white Karens in general. Would do you see them being locked up in mass for the threats that they make that are so routinely filmed and broadcast? But here we have a guy who just needed heart medication to survive. He's not asking for painkillers. He's not asking for morphine. He's not asking for anything that people would abuse. And they denied it to him. And now he's dead. And this just every possible way you look at it really underscores just how systemically brutal our criminal justice system is. And until there is a major transformation, we're going to see more stories like this, more people dying in jail, more people dying before they even see a trial, which happens so often in jails across the country. Starting with reforming the cash bail system, that's like one thing that really needs challenged head on. Like there's just so many issues with, with the policing, with policing in this country and the carceral state that really need addressed immediately. Yep, and then you have the money, okay, and the relationships, the contracts and who gets what and who withholds what. It's a mess and in this case, a man who waited so long to get a new heart is gone. We'll keep following it. Pat McAfee given an eight figure contract despite layoffs, ESPN cuts. ESPN signing Pat McAfee to a huge contract while laying off a bunch of employees has predictably not gone over well with, well, company employees. McAfee is set to join the network on a contract that will pay him more than eight figures per year. That talented or lucky? Well, that's occurring. ESPN is about to execute a second round of layoffs to comply with Disney Chief Executive Officer Bob Iger's demand to slash 7,000 jobs worldwide and 5.5 billion in cost. Among the early names emerging from this second round of cuts, Barry Blinn, Vice President of Sports Research. There's also resentment toward Parent Disney, which owns 80% of ESPN. Some ESPN employees believe they're being forced to pay for strategic mistakes made by ex-Disney CEO Bob Chapix, 
3,000 miles away in Burbank. Reaction from former ESPN employees now. Too soon was the reaction I got from a few friends. Some that were let go are still working there until June. One ex ESPNer telling front office sports, you're coming to grips with your departure and then you see a big money signing. It's not anti McAfee, it's your ex getting engaged a month after the breakup. That from front office sports. Howie Schwab, the famed sports researcher who hosted Stump the Schwab on ESPN, hears from old colleagues that they are closely watching the growing salary gap between on air stars like McAfee, Troy Aikman, paid 18 million a year, <laughs> Joe Buck, 15 million a year, Stephen A. Smith, 15 million a year, and the rest of the company. There are some people who are upset. The timing of it is curious. They're paying Aikman, Buck, Stephen A., and McAfee. And then you're going to lay people off? It's kind of weird. Jamel Hill recalled how hard it was to say goodbye to friends and colleagues like Jane McManus in 2017. Hill noted that ESPN's layoffs hit behind the scenes workers much harder than better paid on air talents. In most cases, they're going to be fine because they have contracts, they have the ability to maybe secure other high paying jobs. The impact's very different. It's the audio folks and producers, the people who work behind the scenes who are the most impacted because they don't have a cushion. They don't have, in a lot of cases, a soft landing, she said. America is about free commerce, Jordan, right? I mean, you, you stand out in a crowd, this isn't a communist country. <laughs> and yet, hey, this is what we're doing. 18 million Troy Aikman's getting two. Okay. It's does that pay him more than his football contract ever did? I think so. And I don't know that he says that much. And he doesn't even work the whole year round, Jordan. Yeah, I mean, it's a good gig if you can get it. I feel bad mm -hmm. for the people who are behind the scenes who are affected by these cuts. I mean, we see across all industries, all these giant companies who for years have reported record profits, who are giving their CEOs massive, massive salaries. All of their shareholders are getting dividends and are seeing rounds of stock buybacks. All of these workers who fuel these profits are then hung out to dry. You see it time and time again, all these different companies across all these different industries. It's just the same maneuver. They they load up their CEO pay, they give all these executives bonuses, and the shareholders get rich, workers get hung out to dry. It really underscores the importance of all these workers unionizing. But these same companies will try to crush those unions. So right now, all of these studios, everyone who watches and enjoys including Disney content, all of these writers are on strike because they just want a fair contract. They want a contract and they want uh, residuals that reflect modern entertainment consumption. Because in the past when it was broadcast on network or on TV, they would get a fair residual for every time it was reshown. In streaming, it's not like that. So these people aren't getting a fair living wage relative to what they produce and the longevity of that content. So supporting things like the Writers Guild and their strike right now is one step toward creating a more equitable playing field for workers. And let's talk about how we got here, okay? Streaming came along and they 
are printing money on one side. And when the other side said, could I get just a little sprinkling of something? No. And so you're gonna write for a hit show and you're gonna work at Waffle House. You're gonna do both if you're gonna survive and pay your bills. It's disgusting, forever. It's not about, we want people to get paid. But you get 18 million and I get my walking papers, okay. If you say so, America, look at your life. Jonathan Majors is taking stock of his. That Jonathan Majors, he was on top of the world. He was turning away projects, I'm sure others were centered around him. Jonathan Majors now has her in his life, on his arm, Megan Good. This is getting serious, maybe. They're traveling together. Are Jonathan Majors and Megan Good the new it couple in Hollywood? Or is this just a PR stunt to help him? More sightings of the couple traveling together. Certainly seems to indicate they are indeed together romantically. Jonathan Majors is stepping out with his new girlfriend, Megan Good, as the actor awaits his next court date in his assault trial. On Saturday, Majors 33, Good 41 were photographed as they traveled from New York City to Los Angeles. The pair seen holding hands more than one week after people confirmed on May 13th, the pair are currently seeing each other. Looks like they're flying private. Source told People last Monday that Majors and Good's friendship turned romantic as she has shown support for him since his March 25th arrest in New York City. Majors, who most recently starred in Creed 3 and Ant-Man and The Wasp, Quantumania, haven't seen any of it, was charged with multiple misdemeanor counts of assault and harassment by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office over the alleged incident. Next court date. For Majors is June 13th. The actor's attorney, Priya Chandri, called the case against her client a witch hunt against Jonathan Majors, driven by baseless claims in a statement obtained by People. The alleged victim in the actor's case has not been identified by authorities, and it is unclear whether she has her own legal representation. 30-year-old woman was granted a full temporary order of protection last month. Good, meantime, filed divorce from Devon Franklin, her husband of nine years. That was back in December 2021. The Shazam Fury of the Gods actress told people in May 2022 that she has learned to not be as much of a people pleaser. I've learned that not everybody's going to get you or like you and that's okay. And knowing who your tribe is and being really thankful for that and knowing sometimes they're not your tribe, that's okay too. It appears they're tribing or trying to make us believe they're tribing. Are you buying it, Jordan? No, I don't know. Not really. I don't <laughs> know them, but you know, I just want everyone to get along and everyone to be happy. Look at that. <laughs> you sound like a life coach. You sound like a life coach. <laughs> and maybe, maybe Jonathan Majors needs it because remember, well, I'll educate you because I don't know that you've been following it, but. After he was charged with assault or whatever went down in that vehicle with his ex or lady friend, a bunch of people came out, some anonymous, some not, other stars, other people who work with him and said, not a good guy, sounds familiar. A lot of piling on, maybe it's true, maybe it's not, wasn't there. But Ken she was pretty wholesome, very beautiful and extremely talented and smart. 
by all accounts. And she resurrect a man who is charged with assault of another woman. I mean, if there's smoke, there's often fire. So if there are that many people around him warning about his behavior, they say, listen to him. Because so often in Hollywood, what happens is all of these warnings get ignored. And then 10, 15, 20 years later, it's just this giant mountain of problems that went unaddressed for years. Just stomp it out early. Listen to people who are warning about them and hear them out. And what you just described is exactly what went down here, okay? And might I add that he might be making the right PR moves here, or maybe they're in love, I don't know. But if they were flying private, the carbon footprint there, it's not gonna help you people, okay? Not people who care about the environment, okay? He should tread lightly in all areas. I'll give you the last word and remind people where they can enjoy your content. Well, Sharon, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. You can follow me on Twitter at Jordan Yule, and you can check out my podcast at insurgentspod.com. We appreciate it always having you on, and um, I enjoyed it, including the lighting. And I'd like to get a lesson <laughs> in that because I'm stuck with this one image. It's fine, but it's not exactly, you know, when I'm in a different mood, Jordan doesn't give me a different mood. But we'll see. Always a pleasure. I'm Sharon Reed and for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. This is Indisputable. We hope you'll join us again. Welcome to Indisputable. I'm your host, Dr. Rashad Ritchie. We got a lot happening today. But what do we do on this show? We tell the truth. You know why we tell the truth? Because the truth is simply indisputable. Rashad, great to be here. Congratulations on the new show. And I gotta let everybody know that Rashad and I go way back. Here's the pattern that we see in all of these Karen stories. They think they own stuff they do not own. Now, where does that come from? I don't know, maybe slavery. Maybe they think they should still own black people. This is what happens when Karens weaponize the police. When you're used to privilege, equality seems like oppression. It hits you in a certain way when someone is holding you against your will, treating you like you're a criminal and you're an innocent person. This is something that black people face no matter where they are. A stronger black economy lends itself to a stronger, greater economy. Don't think it's exclusive of you, it's inclusive of you. What's your beef with critical race theory? It adds more fuel to the fire of the racist tendencies that we already have. We have a generation of problem solvers that can remedy the problem if they are properly taught what the problem is. You know who created redlining in this country? Mm-hmm. The white liberal. I, I, don't, I don't give a damn who created it. If it's a racist policy, racist policy. Shelly, here's what I don't know. I don't know. See, there you go filibustering, brother. You're scared of this truth, but you're gonna get it, though.